Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston, the Intern Whisperer, and today's tip of the week is about how DEI is moving to be more about inclusive leadership. People leaders need to manage and lead their teams and their departments or business through a multicultural and multidimensional lens. What does that mean? Having all types of people acknowledged in the workplace. Lead by example. Be sure to communicate and acknowledge the people that you work with. So this week's guest is Liz Morton, and I'm so happy to have her. She is a self-taught wedding floral and event designer and serial entrepreneur. She's a podcaster. She's an author. She's so many things. You guys are going to be amazed with her. I'm so fortunate that I was on her podcast too. So we're like fans of each other. And this show is airing, it's going to air after PodFest, but I'm going to get to meet her in person at PodFest. So very happy. Welcome to the show, Liz. Thank you so much for having me, Isabella. I'm so excited to connect with you again and meet you at PodFest because it's going to be life-changing. It, it certainly is going to be. All right. So we kick off our show with tell us five words that describe you and why those five words. So I am a mom. I am a wife. I am a goal-getter. I am an Enneagram 3. And I'm a serial entrepreneur. And I think those five words best describe everything about me because... My kids and my husband or my wife or everything that I'm doing. I am an Enneagram 3 to the core, which means that I am an achiever at heart. And it's funny because growing up, I used to have what my parents and my grandma and everybody called the number one syndrome. And it's actually like perfectly in alignment with the Enneagram 3, which is basically I get my fulfillment and everything through achieving. And that's how I perceive love is <laughs> when I'm achieving things. So I'm constantly trying to one-up myself and do better, which boils down to the serial entrepreneurship and the goal getting because I have five businesses now that <laughs> started with my floral design business, but we'll get there. And ultimately it's led to five different businesses, my book, my podcast, and who knows what else is in the future is coming. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're my kind of a woman because I love everything that you're saying. I went, that's welcome to my world. I feel like we are like soul sisters, so to speak. So uh, this is going to be a good show. Really glad. Um, all right. So tell us about your career journey. Where did it start and how did you get to where you are now? Okay. So I started working for my uncle in a chiropractic office when I was about 12 years old. And I stayed there for about 10 years of my life. I He sold the business. I continued working there with the new owner that took over. And it was a dead-end job. I had gone to school for healthcare administration and I had this like idea that I would just do what everybody else did and I would go to college and I'd get a job, but the job stayed the same. There was no advancement, no growth. And as many times as I would go back and I would ask him, what's the plans for the future? Like nothing would change. <laughs> so realizing this, it's been 10 years. I have no PTO. I have no like sick leave. I have no benefits. I've got nothing to my name. <laughs> just a measly paycheck at the end of the week, I realized I needed to start my own business. So I thought about what would bring me joy and the answer was flowers. So I started my first floral design business when I was 22 years old, 23 years old. And at that point, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never been an entrepreneur before. 
I had never worked with flowers before <laughs> as a profession. But I was like, you know what? Like, we'll figure it out if I just start now. So that's what I did. I launched in time for Valentine's Day and I sold maybe like $800 worth of flowers. I think I spent like $2,000 on flowers, but you know what? It got me moving. It got me in the community. It got me started. And from there, I made six figures in my first year of business. I had tried everything. It was, I started with Valentine's Day and then I did Mother's Day and I tried prom and I tried graduation bouquets and pop-up shops and subscriptions and farmer's markets. And I really tried to figure out what I wanted to do and it landed on weddings and events. So from there, I had been in the industry. I was freelancing, I was building my skill set and really dominating <laughs> the industry. And I had my listening ears turned on and I kept hearing everybody saying, you know, we really don't want to go break down the event. So for those that don't know, florists often provide rental items and those items can be candles, they could be vases, they could be really expensive things that they've invested in their business. And at the end of the wedding around midnight, one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock, you have to go back get, get them. And nobody wants to do that after a week's worth of hard work where you're working 12, 15, 18 hour days. And then the day of you're sweating, you're tired. You just want to like go home and lay down and not go back out at two o'clock in the morning. So I said to my husband, I was like, you know what? There's an opportunity here and we need to capitalize on it. So we started a shrimp business as a result of our floral design business. Then in the peak of that, I had my second daughter. We were working on the computer, like her and I. And I'm like, you know what? Like I built this thing with two kids under two years old. And I'm like, I need to show other moms that they can do this too, because I had never felt so fulfilled in my entire life. And that led to me creating my brand, my podcast, and writing my book. And as a result of all of that, I came to the conclusion that, you know what? I can't do this all on my own. I need to bring a team on to help me. And I created my digital production company, which is Mama Media. So that's that, where we are now. <laughs> that is a roller coaster ride. That's it is. Yeah. Yeah very exciting i'm sitting there going oh my gosh did you even breathe but i and when we were talking it was about you were writing your book and i was going you're so much further along in your book than i am because it's already published and it's it's out there so cool. yeah february 19th so let's talk about your book what's the name of it i know that you just mentioned it again but let's just remind our listeners what it is and how they can find it and what it's about yeah so it's called welcome to the room mama and it's the mompreneur's guide to getting out of your head, ditching the mom guilt and building a successful business. And you can find it as of February 19th on Amazon primarily, and it'll be rolling out into other places after that. Um, but you can get it on Amazon for 99 cents, like right when this podcast goes live. And it would mean the world to me if you left a review on it. <laughs> okay. So what if somebody wants to get an autographed copy? How could they do that? They can go right to my website. It's lismorton.com and they can buy the book on there. You'll get a signed copy from me and we'll ship it to you. That is wonderful news. I, I love signed books, to be honest, because I just sit here and I go, and I was an English major. So reading books you mm -hmm. know, hand in hand. All right. So what is something that you've typically done? Let's go back to that first business as to what you were starting there. Um, the florist business. I'm sure that you had to deal with a lot of brides and probably funerals. I would think it's like the best moments of life, but it's also sad moments. What are some of those day-to-day -day things that happen for a florist? Because 
I don't think that many people realize this is hard work. It's like, you know, wedding planner and food services, it's everything. Yeah. And they're not, there's not a lot of gratitude, I think, for those people. You know, it's like one of those people you don't think about until you need them. Yeah. And when I started my business, like we're home-based. So I was like, I can't do a retail kind of structure because I didn't want people to come to my home and the zoning department was going to be up our butt if they did. So we liked the weddings and events aspect because we were able to design in our home studio. We converted our garage into a studio. We built a cooler, like all the things. And we're able to deliver to the venues and they don't have to have to come to our home. We can go to the venues and talk to them if we need to meet them in person or do Zoom meetings. Like it works out really well. So I don't do funerals. Um, that's not like a part of my business, but it's actually a very lucrative income stream for other florists that do them. Mm-hmm. We primarily focus on weddings. And then we also have bouquet preservation where we preserve their flowers after the wedding, if that's a service they wanted to add on. And that's how like other florists and other planners and everything refer us for work that we don't do, like we'll preserve their flowers too. Nice. What goes into that? Because you know what? I think I just hung my stuff upside down and just let it dry, but I'm sure that there's a better way of doing it than the way I did it. Yeah. So you can do that. You can air dry them for sure, but we use what's called silica and we cut the stems off of the flowers and preserve the heads and it keeps the color, makes them look like they're fresh, even though they're dry. And then we put them and encase them in resin. So we're able to create different like serving trays and decorative pieces for the home. We can create like end tables and desks and kitchen tables. Like the sky's really the limit about like what we can create. Um, but it's really fun, especially when we are the florist and preserving their flowers because we know that we're going to be preserving them and we choose flowers that dry really nicely and hold their color really nicely as opposed to somebody else that might not pick the right things. <laughs> that preserve really nice. Um, And then we're able to guide them in our selection too. So it works out. So I'm curious, this is my favorite kind of a flower. So I like white roses, but sometimes a delicate touch of pink in there, but I would pick that. Do roses, do they Mm -hmm. preserve well? Yeah, they preserve really well. The things that don't are succulents, um, what's called a hypericum berry. Like they just they brown (laughs) like they don't dry they just turn rotten that's sad Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't imagine many people with succulents as as part of their bouquet though but I guess it happens yeah I did one last year that was really cool she went really like wildflower-esque and wanted all sorts of different textural items and it was one of my favorite bouquets I ever made (laughs) wow that sounds really cool okay so do you have a favorite wedding story that you like to tell or anything because I think those are so or a funny one whichever one um without disclosing well, I have one yeah I have one it was actually the very first wedding that I did and it almost made me not go into them because it was a family friend that had hired us to do their wedding flowers it was my very first wedding ever and it was about a thousand dollars that they spent it was only like bridal bouquet and bridesmaids and boutonnieres and I go and deliver and they had eight bridesmaids instead of the seven that they ordered and eight groomsmen instead of the eight or seven boutonnieres they ordered. So I had to make them on site in front of everybody, my first wedding ever. And then they were upset that I had charged them to make the extra items. Yeah. So 
there was an experience, especially as my first wedding ever, because I had gone into, I was like, oh, I'm going to get all these beautiful photos. Like I'm going to get raving reviews. They're going to share it with everybody all over town. And then they called me the next day and they're like, I don't understand why I'm getting a bill for my flowers. And I'm like, I had to make two extra items on site. Like, what do you mean you don't understand? If you went to a restaurant and you order two extra meals, you'd have to pay for those two extra meals. Exactly. So they ended up paying. They're like, you know what? We're never going to refer you to anybody ever again. You know, so, sometimes that sounds like that's an intentional move so that they don't have to do something or they think they're going to, mm-hmm. because you said something about being friends. So it's like, oh, no, not close enough that I was invited to the wedding. <laughs> yeah. You can work at the wedding, but not. Yeah. The wedding. So you're not that close, mm. but it was a good lesson in entrepreneurship. Like if they were to do that again, like these days, I probably would have just let it go and like not had sent them the invoice because there's like the gray area. In our business, where like the customer service aspect like could be better because we'll get more referrals, like as opposed to that, I stand by it. Like I don't regret it, but if, I would probably do it differently now. Hmm. That's really good to know. Mm-hmm. What is the um, the most important thing that you would tell anybody that's going to start a business? Let's go pull back into that book a little bit. What do you think people should know? I think that they need to know that they just have to start. Like, it doesn't matter how messy it looks. If you think that it has to be perfect, if you start now, you're going to get better over time. And the more that you prolong starting, the more you're just prolonging the outcome that you want. So it's never going to be perfect. Like, I'm going to burst that bubble right now because you're constantly going to be changing. You're going to be evolving. You're going to be changing the clients that you work with. You're going to be evolving as a brand and as a person. So if you just start now, you're going to drastically improve and get better. And you're just going to see the result come to life. Like you're going to see the business blossom and bloom into whatever you want it to be. Hmm, No pun intended there. Yeah. (laughs) So Chris Kremitzos, he's one of the founders of PodFest that you're going to be coming to. Uh, He has a book and he calls it very same philosophy, start ugly. So that is like, don't worry about it being perfect just get it out there. It's about speed to market more than anything. I feel like it has a lot more to do with like your mindset behind it. Like as long as you're going into it, like trying to serve, nobody's going to be mad if you mess up or you make a mistake. That had happened like once where I delivered some flowers and they didn't look too great. Like when I got there, so I was like, oh my gosh, let me come back and fix it. And they left me amazing reviews. They're like, she was so wonderful. Like she came back and fixed it for us. They gave me a tip. Like it was such a big thing like they were so thrilled like with the customer service aspect Mm -hmm. so as long as you're going into it with like a service mindset and willing to fix any mistake that you make you're not going to go wrong yeah I think that that's the key you are absolutely right so having a heart for servant uh serving those and remember it always comes back full circle it really really Mm -hmm. does yeah um handling hard situations though some of the things that i tell uh, i work with a lot of young talent and i teach them how to you know make sure that they're being competitive in their pricing and that they're also understanding how to create a bid and how to invoice many times people don't know, know that i don't know if you covered that in your book but there's so much to know right and so do you have any good resources that you suggest people use as far as like building a business, is that what you're yeah, asking? Yeah, you can start a business. Sorry, I should have added that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think one, I believe in coaching. 
Like, I believe that you absolutely need to either have mentors or coaches or somebody that you can go to that's done what you want to do so that you can go to them and ask them and learn from them, like, as far as their systems, what they're doing as far as, like, marketing tactics and strategies, like, ways that they've gotten into the industry. I think that that's invaluable because it's going to shave years of time off of your learning and mistakes. Um, And then as far as, like, actually, like, building the business. Yeah. I use, um, well, for me, I have a tech company. One of them is a tech company. So we use something that's called the business model canvas, but there's always just a plain old business plan, like Google Mm -hmm. business plan. And there's how many things can you find about how to start a business? It's going to be just tons on the internet, right? Mm -hmm. So I have favorite things that I like to go to. And down here in Orlando, we have um, something that's, Disney puts, you know, they sponsor a place called uh, Score. Well, they sponsor Score and a bunch of other entrepreneurial um, efforts that are in there. It's the Entrepreneur Center. And you can go down there and find a bunch of people that can help you to get started. Some of them might be specialty chamber of commerces. Some of them Mm -hmm. are Score. It's a really older organization, but they have a lot of free templates that people can use. So I Googled a lot, but I also went through programs and I feel like having, just like you said, a really good mentor, and then just being able to focus on customer service, you should, you should do well. The rest you can kind of figure out. Yeah. I'm a big believer in put yourself in the room. Like hence the title of the book, like welcome to the room mama, because once you're putting yourself around those people, you sometimes you could pay for them, but you could actually just go out and create the friendships and network with them. Like you don't necessarily have to pay. You can create your own room and host online events or do whatever you can to surround yourself with these people that are going to help you move forward in your life and your business because you 100% become the people that you put yourself around. And if that's a successful entrepreneur or if it's like a college dropout or, you know, whoever you want to be like, like that's who you become. Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to go to college, honestly, for. Oh, I believe you. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, you can find so much online now. You don't have to, and you can get certificates and boot camps and all of those. So, yeah. Now, Coming from somebody that went to school for healthcare administration to do flowers, I agree. <laughs> I see the correlation, though. People I know, right? <laughs> they want flowers because it makes them feel better. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. So what is a favorite quote that you live by? My favorite quote, well, I have two of them, but my favorite has to be nothing changes if nothing changes, because you cannot complain about something that you're not actively trying to change. And it's literally like Einstein's definition of insanity is like doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something to be different. Nothing's going to change if nothing changes, whether that's you or the actions that you're doing. Right. It's like, how many times do you have to hit yourself in the hit the mm-hmm. wall and go, okay, well, I should stop hitting the wall if I want something to change. Yep. That's solid advice. Now, is that your original quote? Because I love it. That was one of the ones that I was thinking. The other was just start because it's never going to, it's never going to happen if you don't do it. Mm. Well, what is the hardest lesson that you learned that changed your life? Hmm. Did I, I think I put that, that like they just start, right? Like if you don't start now, it's not going to happen. 
Uh, right. That was the quote, but the hardest lesson that ever, that you ever had to go through. Oh, I think I understand what you're saying. That yeah. Was that, was that what I said the first time? I don't remember. Yeah. That was the quote that you were using when we were talking earlier, but the hardest lesson is usually like, you know, I, I just sat there like, this is my hard lesson. I'll give you mine. Um, just like you were saying that it's really nothing changes. I've had to let go of being a perfectionist and that's really been very hard for me and I have mm. struggled with it. And then I came to this place of being in startup life, thing moves, things move fast. So if I tried to carry that philosophy in here and the day that I've had today, this is exhausting. And I have to make all kinds of decisions and go, okay, am I letting go of this one? Am I going to let go of that one? That was really hard for me as a perfectionist to mm -hmm. let go of that type of thinking. And I would say it took me probably five or six years, not even when I was even having a business, but it took me five or six years just to let go of that in just like in my marriage. And when I was teaching, like, it's going to be okay if it is not the way that I'm saying that I want it to be done. So I think that was my, and five years is a long time. Honestly. It is. Yeah. It, is. it was like one day I woke up in the classroom and I went, I was just so worried what those students were going to think about me. And I went, oh my God, I've already passed 10th grade. What am I worried about? <laughs> what, what does it matter what they think? They haven't passed 10th grade. I have all power over their life. So it's kind of like those kind of things. And it's tough. Anyway, I yeah. didn't know if you had one of those kind of stories too. That's why I was just checking. Yeah. I, if I had to pick one, it'd probably be kind of similar to yours. Like but in the Enneagram three, like achieving kind of aspect, because go back and explain what Enneagram is, because I yeah. this, but I don't know if our listeners will know. So what is that? An Enneagram is a personality type. So there's nine different ones. I, you can go like online and take a test. Um, you could just like Google like Enneagram test and find out what kind of personality type you are. But I am a three at the core. And the description of that is an achiever. And what that really boils down to is that I have to constantly be accomplishing something or doing something and up-leveling myself. And that's basically the way that I perceive attention and love. So it's like in school, I would be like getting straight A's and honor roll and presidential lists and all of those things, because that's how I would get attention from the parents and those around me. So it has translated like my whole life into building the businesses and writing the books and starting the podcast and all of these things, you know, like winning awards, like whatever I can do just to get the attention and the love. So the lesson that I've learned there is like one that it's not like I used to be ashamed of it. And now I know that it's actually kind of a benefit for me because it gives me a never ending drive to accomplish everything that I want. But on the other end, it's nobody else is really paying that much attention <laughs> So it gives you a lot of freedom to say, you know what, like, oh, I just made a mistake. Nobody's watching. Mm -hmm. Or maybe that people see it because you can reach a certain level of notoriety, right? And visibility for sure. But people also go, oh, she's human. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think people would see it for sure. Um, and I, I'm very hyper aware. I'm going, oh my God, they just know that I just messed up, but I go, but they Wait, all, but that's a good thing. Yeah, but 
it's also okay because they know what all of the stuff that's going on. So I think giving permission, right? Learning how to mm -hmm. give permission to each other. That's important. Yeah. To yourself. Mm -hmm. So what are you most grateful for then? I'm definitely most grateful for my two little girls. I actually just had a miscarriage right before Christmas and I had to have surgery last week to remove the rest of it. So it gave me a newfound like appreciation for them because I had never had to experience that before. And they're definitely every reason that I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You're going to be uh, somebody that many moms will be able to relate to you. And thank you for sharing that also. So you'll probably see that you get a lot more people reaching out to you just because they're going to know that you can relate to what they're experiencing. Thank you. Yeah, It was the most heart-wrenching experience I've ever had. And honestly, like the fact that I'm not crying right now, this is a lot. <laughs> you know, I saw an interesting, um, it was an interesting video and it came through my feed yesterday and it was for parents that had suffered some kind of a loss of a child. And this hospital had received grant funding to come in and take pictures of that child because there was, it allowed the parents to grieve the way that they wanted to mm -hmm. help them get closure. And that is something I had never thought about. And I went, wow, that's a progressive hospital to even think about that and to, to give value to that because these were professionally done pictures, you know, the really cute ones that they also mm -hmm. have, you know, like little angels that are flying and things like yeah, that. Yeah, they, they are. They are. Yeah. Well, that's super, super special. And again, thank you so much for sharing that. So we're going to take a moment and we're going to go and acknowledge our new sponsor, Transcend Network. Transcend Network helps early stage startup founders find product market fit through weekly experiments, receive fundraising support, and build a global founder investor network for ed tech and the future of work technologies. The Intern Whisperer is affiliated with Employers for Change and we thank Transcend Network for being a sponsor of our show are back to the second half because this one is just like a new sponsor for us and we are so excited to have them as a part of it we haven't done the professional audio side of it yet so what do you think the future of work is going to look like 2030 okay that's just literally just a few years away so the sky's the limit you can have any answer think about whatever you've seen on tv as your favorite sci-fi movie or horror whatever you've seen um, it can be anything you've read, you know, what do you think it's going to look like, or it can be totally out of your own head. <clears throat> okay. I don't really think that much is going to change in the next seven years, mm -hmm. like on that kind of note, like as far as like robots or anything like that, but I'm going to be really interested to see what happens like politically mm. in the sense that I really feel like there's either a depression or like a civil war coming because there's two different sides of America. There's the broke, the ones that I've grown up with, like constantly going to work and having nothing to show for it, like mm -hmm. working all day, working all week. And then there's everybody that's getting free handouts. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much longer that can continue before something really bad happens. 
you know what I heard on the uh, news and I was reading in some of the feeds is that there is a representative that's wanting to uh, change the retirement age from 65 to 70 because Social Security isn't going to be able to cover that. And that's an interesting thought because even though people can live longer, there's other variables that are in there because with mm -hmm. our world as it's become more remote, we're more of a gig economy, uh, gig workers. I was also reading another article that said that uh, employees, as we've been downsizing, downsizing, what the future could look like in two or three years is that there won't be employees. We would mm -hmm. end up going and saying, okay, we're going to build a team. We'll hire these people to come and build a team. And that becomes how you get work done. And then they're only there for a project and then they're let go. So I, I don't know about you, but I sit here and I go, gosh, what could it look like? And I love reading all of the trends that are out there as to how it could be. The concern is about remote work also though. And you mm -hmm. work from home. So. Yeah. And it's fascinating that you brought this up because my husband and I actually like talk about this a lot because like all of our friends still work like going to jobs, like their pension jobs. And we're like, you know, like you're probably not going to be able to collect that pension by the time that you retire. Right. And they're like, no, no, like we're fine. And I'm like, okay, well I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting because nobody can find workers and What's happening like right now is more, like you said, more people are going to work for themselves. They don't want to work for anybody else. So it's really interesting to see like what's going to happen by the time 2030 comes because there probably won't be any employees anymore. Maybe not, not in major places like mm -mm. hospitals. And... But you wonder what that's going to do to small business too. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts about that, but I always like hearing what my guests have to, their thoughts are about it. Um, Remote work, it's definitely here to stay, but I also feel like there's a, another area that we're not talking about, and it's about socialization. And I think that some of the reasons why people are feeling um, depressed and suffering with anxiety is because they're not in the same social settings that they've been accustomed to. So there's this, this what would I even call it, this... Um, separation of how we've done things and moving into a different way of how we would be gathering together in social settings at work. <clears throat> Personally, I feel like we're made for relationships. So mm -hmm. doing everything online is not necessarily as sensory as being in the same place. And you're in event management. I don't know. Do you think that there's going to be things that change with that? Because I like getting together with lots of people and doing more sensory experiences, you know, where I'm able to shake hands with the person and be able to see things that are going on in the room. You know, it's all on it, audio. It's really, or video, it's really hard to get that same experience. I You're mean, right. You're definitely right. I mean, I don't see weddings or celebrations or anything going anytime soon, but I'd be interested to see on how it shifts. Like maybe they do smaller scale versus inviting 300 people. Maybe they only invite 75 and they still have the budget to make it just more extravagant. I don't know. Like I'm interested to see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I don't think it's just even weddings. It's conferences like what we're mm -hmm. going to do this week, right? Podfest. Um, I had two conferences too. One I was trying to do remotely and it was 
you know, not the same experience as being on the floor with people and interviewing them. Whereas going there in person, it's a lot easier to, you know, line 10 people up and just say, Hey, what did you think about this? What is, what is it that your company does? It's just going to be very, very different. So robots, I don't know about you. Where do you live? Tell our listeners where you live. I'm in New Jersey. Okay. So here in Florida, we have robots that are in restaurants and that are also delivering food in state parks. So I, and there's even been some that are, they're experimenting with um, delivering groceries in like a small radius of, of town. So have you seen any robots? In no, no. It's so funny because when you come here, I don't are know. Are they what you would imagine them to look like or do they look like people? Um, they look like uh, the ones that are in Kissimmee or at a restaurant. Somebody's told me about them. They don't look like a person. They kind of look like a, a, a box that they. Put oh, like the cartoon style robots that we would yeah. envision them to look like. And they bring your food to you. Fascinating. And the ones that are at the state park. They kind of look like a little robot and its body opens up and that's where your snacks are. It brings you food also. That's where the snacks are. And then it goes back, but they're on uh, treadmills and, and they don't walk like a person. Fascinating. Yeah. So I think that's pretty interesting. We also, if you, I don't know if you have a car, but um, we have autonomous driving vehicles in uh, Very true. Florida. Yeah. And then we also are experimenting with um, mass transit, like buses. So uh, have you seen any of that? Because like, I think you're in a metropolitan New Jersey. It's like, you know, way bigger than Orlando, it seems. But I live in such a small, like rural part. <laughs> like, <clears throat> um, like, I'm not in the city, but I, I do see what you mean by like the self-driving cars and the way that technology is like really advanced in that way to be able to do things on its own. Yeah. Well, when you're down here, keep an eye out, see if you can, you know, are you staying at the hotel also? No, I'm staying like on the main drag, but not that hotel. It was way too expensive. <laughs> so look to see because they are experimenting with some things over there on iDrive. And if you do, you know, you'll be able to see like what's going on. They have some trolley cars that take people uh, around. I'll be taking the trolley. So look and see if there's a driver. I've heard that they're getting, they're beginning to test some of those things out. And I'm going, I don't know. I don't know. What's going wow. On? Mm -hmm. All right. So the next question is, we've been talking a lot about chat GPT. I don't know if you've had any experience with that, but some of these things that we are creating, I don't think that people are weighing the ethical sides of it. Just because we can create robots to wash dishes in the um, in a restaurant, does that mean we should? Because there's going to be some people that cannot because of either intellect or language barriers or mm -hmm. they're not citizens, whatever. There's going to be some jobs that they end up getting that they wouldn't be able to get a, a high paying tech job. So I feel like we need to be really addressing some of these things. What are your thoughts about just the ethics of just like, well, yeah, we can, but does that mean we should? Yeah, I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about, like as far as like small business and like small employees like that can't or 
I want to say the mindset like isn't there to be able to shift and do other things but how is it going to affect the whole economy and the whole systematic like I want to say economical like ecosystem if that's like the way to refer to it but because I don't I can't see how everybody's going to be able to survive Mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying yeah because if that makes us more of a socialist um, government, you know, that's mm -hmm. what we would end up having. And so what are we going to do with those people that cannot get those types of jobs? If I go into a Starbucks and I can just go order it, I don't need a barista anymore. And I'm just, mm -hmm. paying, you know, straight out of a machine. I can do that. But part of it is being able to have jobs for people. Yeah, I, it's either, I could see it going either two ways, like either they're going to get more government handouts or they're going to be forced to do something else. Yeah, I think these are the questions that I don't know. I'm not seeing a lot of these um, conversations and things that mm -hmm. I'm following, whether it's through just searches or in HR, um, you know, areas and certainly in the futurist you know, LinkedIn groups and other groups that I follow, I'm not seeing a lot of that. So it makes me always kind of concerned as to like, are we really thinking about both sides? Yes, it can do amazing things. Yes, it can write in seconds, minutes, if you will, chat GPT. It can write in minutes and give you a five paragraph essay that might sound like, you know, Snoop Dogg and his voice and all of that type of jargon that would be used. But just because we can, we need to have some type of um, boundaries around it, you know, policies. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I also read is uh, a professor had said, so this is a tool. I'm going to want you to use it. You will use it. And here are the things that you need to understand about how to use it. And I thought that was very progressive. And he said, um, just because you can use it, you need to be thinking of it as a thought, how thoughtfully you will use it and how it is appropriate and not appropriate in all ways. So mm -hmm. I, I appreciated that he was putting that out there because your daughters are going to grow up with this tool and do, will they know how to research? Will they know how to fact check and do things for themselves? Those are Probably they're not going to learn that in school. <laughs> like, no. Well, uh, according to what I'm seeing, they're saying yes. Uh, so they're they're going to have to do more research, and they can use write a standard five paragraph essay on whatever the topic is, and then they have to fact check it to make sure that it's going to be accurate. Seems like a lot of extra work, other than just doing it the first time. I don't you know. Learning how to write? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the same thing. It's it's like when Google came out, there was a lot of discussion like, oh, it's going to take away the ability for us to think. And the same was true with um, like calculators. Calculators and too. No, people can't do, well, they can't do math, but it's also a more efficient way of doing math, but you still mm -hmm. have to learn the basics. I'm going, the grid's going to go down one day. So when it does, we still need to know those basics. Anyway, those ethical dilemmas are one of the things that are interesting. So you, how I question though, like I question 
this is gonna sound like very uh what's the word i'm looking for like conspiracy kind of theory oh my gosh don't but i'm just gonna yeah. say like i really question if the government doesn't actually want you to be dependent on them and not know how to do math not know how to write not know how to read not know how to do cursive or think for yourself because you got to think about it like we're we're with all the technology that we have right now like we're putting our kids on ipads we're putting them on youtube we're putting them on tvs like these are their babysitters and then we send them to school and they're learning whatever the curriculum is that the government's forcing them to teach. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if we as parents have less impact on what they're learning because all they're surrounded by is what, you know, I want to say like the, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the mandated curriculum. Yeah. Like the, I'm trying to think of like big brother, you know, like what they want you to say, like mm -hmm. what they want them to learn, what they want them to absorb. Actually, from what I've seen in the research uh, or the the trends that are out there, it will become more customized and people will be doing like remote school, right? So we may not see the standard education uh, route. Everybody would have their own. I read this in another article. They would have their own. Um, teacher so mm. if there's no teachers in the public schools anymore then everybody that has a child is going to want to hire a teacher to work with their child so then it becomes more customized and certainly um individual. but then you lose the socialization aspect again right yes and that's the other thing so you think about remember when people were doing a lot of um homeschooling mm -hmm. so same concept they're teaching them at home but they had to figure out, well, how do we get our kids around other kids so that they can interact with each other? So the homeschooling group started having, um, they do have proms. They would have science experiments and field trips that students could go on, even though they were all learning individually at home, but also through some remote methods, it was still giving that socialization experience. I, I were made for relationship. I absolutely can't see that we're not going to do that we're going to have to do that it's like going full circle like you're I feel like they're putting so many like by incorporating all of this and forcing you to go individualized then they're going to as parents we're going to be recreating like mini schools and at that point like what why did you do this <laughs> like what changed like why did it change you know yeah yeah those are the concerns that I, I definitely follow. You know, something else that was um, another thing that I read was the the desire for having this continuous learning, even in the workplace. And so it would be the same there. They're beginning to give budgets for employees instead of doing like maybe one mass um, training on cybersecurity, right? They can begin to customize it and give you $1,500. This is what's going to have to last you for the year. And you would go and sign up for any courses that you want. So it's uh, specific to your job role. Mm -hmm. And it would be something that you might be wanting to learn more about. There would be these places of like um, harassment, sexual harassment in the workplace. Okay. So that would be a company wide thing that people would follow, but they're building in more learning there uh, so that you're doing it on site or you're doing it, you know, even in the home setting and you're 
your professional development, if you will, is something that you get to have more control over. So decentralizing everything, whether it's education or decentralizing how you grow professionally in the workplace, these are a lot of the trends that are out there. And I, it's really forecasting what's coming for sure. Fascinating. Yeah. Anyway. It's also kind of scary, like at the same is. time. Right. There's this show that I recommend. Uh, I've talked about it a couple times on some of my other podcasts. Um, there's they're both on Netflix. One is the future of and it's a little bit more balanced approach to what the future could look like from um, instead of going to a regular when somebody dies, going to a place to be buried, you know, have your body prepared. They're talking about human composting. There's a number of states that have already approved this. New York was the latest. And that's basically you're getting um, bundled up and, you know, getting kind of into the dirt and no embalming fluid or anything like that in there. Um, and then you're put into the ball of a tree and then your whole DNA goes. I've seen those. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. They've talked about moving out of the cloud and uh, putting a lot of our data into plants so hmm. that we're using that in a more efficient way. So it's not taking, you know, vital minerals from the ground. There's a lot that's going on that people are um, not aware of, but that future of will tell you a lot of the things that are actually happening now, whether it's water or food or clothes or how we are, are going to school. Like you can see a lot. I think there was uh, eight episodes. And then the other one is Black Mirror, which is also hmm. on uh, Netflix, giving shameless plugs. Those are dark. They're really dark. And those were, will really raise a lot of ethical uh, flags for people. I'm definitely going to have to watch them. Okay, so if you watch that one with Black Mirror, make sure that you have somebody around you because they're they're very uh, sci-fi. Um, but you can you can see going. You know what? I can see that possibly happening. So something to think about. Well, hard to believe we're over here towards almost the end of our our show here. Um, what is the best mentoring advice that you want to share with our listeners? And keep in mind, our listeners are from like 22 to 65 plus. They're from all different industries. They're HR professionals as well as CEOs, single CEOs to large companies. So what is the best mentoring advice that you want to share? The best advice I can say is seriously, just start like, I can't say it enough. I can't stress it enough. You have to just start whatever you want to change. You have to do it. Even if it's messy, even if it's not perfect, even if you're going to mess up, you're going to get better over time. If you just start now, mm -hmm. just do it. Nike had it right. Mm -hmm. Just do it. And how can our listeners find you? What is your website? Um, I usually share a LinkedIn profile. So we have that. Great. Um, you can find me on lissmorton.com. It's L-Y-S-S-M-O-R-T-O-N.com. And you can find everything on there, all of our businesses, my book. You can find the podcast, like everything right over Social there. Social channels. Yep, everything. Awesome. Well, this has been delightful. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I look forward to meeting you at PodFest. I'm excited. Thank you again for having me on the show. This has been so much fun. Oh, good. Thank you to our video and editing sponsor, Cat5 Studios. We want to thank our production and editing editor, Josue Gonzalez, and our music by Sophie Lloyd. 
Visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusion culture while scaling your people for the future. Thank you for supporting The Intern Whisper by subscribing to us on Podbean, or you can find our video on our Employers for Change YouTube and Facebook channels, or you can stream from your favorite podcast channel.